Hi, this is Day for Night with Caridad Stitch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and performance and the Angelins in the wilderness. So in today's episode, uh, I'm going to read just from just one of the chapters from this very, very beautiful new book by Carl Phillips called My Trade is Mystery, Seven Meditations from a Life in Writing. Gorgeous book. Um, and uh, very neat. Uh, it was published in 2022 uh, by Yale University Press. Uh, and so I'm going to just read from the... The chapters are short, but I'm just going to read from the from the first chapter, which is called Ambition. So I'm just going to begin. Uh, that's all that happens, I think. We stop moving forever. So I said once in a poem to describe death. And by that logic, life equals motion. We are, as human beings, by definition, restless. Dissatisfaction becomes a form of survival. To be dissatisfied with an empty stomach triggers an instinct to fill that emptiness with what in turn enables us to live a while longer. We resist dissatisfaction as we resist shapelessness. The impulse to know a thing, another form of survival, is an impulse toward recognizability, to give shape to shapelessness, and we call it meaning, and it feels like arrival. We forget for a moment that meaning itself is unfixed, ever-changing, and the forgetting, isn't this too survival? I've often been asked if art is necessary. And for years, my standard answer was that art isn't required for survival, but it gives an added dimension to life, without which life would be, what, uh, less appealing, boring? <laughs> but for reasons I'll never know, making art is how some of us make sense of the world for ourselves. It's absolutely then a means of survival, which makes it necessary. A poem may not be how I stave off physical hunger, but if it's how I temporarily arrive at something like clarity and stability, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, then yes, I need it. Art is one of the many ways to get there, but for the artist, it's a chief way, and sometimes the only way. To this extent, there's truth to the idea of art making as vocation. A natural calling. It's easy, though, for elitism to creep into this way of thinking, the idea that some are called and others are not, or as Alfred Korn puts it, speaking of making a career in poetry in his highly regarded manual on prosody. This is the quote from Alfred, Alfred Korn. Uh, the book is called The Poem's Heartbeat. All you have to do, then, is to go on to produce complete and unified poems in which every line contains its depth, charge of technical, technical intuitive insight. A tall order? Yes, as tall as Mount Parnassus, to whose slopes many are called, but few are chosen. 
To be clear from the start, I believe anyone who chooses to make art has the right to do so, and has the right to define art for themselves. Some make that choice, others don't. Neither choice is wrong or better. For further clarification, I'm speaking here of what traditionally gets called the arts, literature, music, dance, painting, sculpting, etc. But there's an art to pretty much everything, from digging a trench to changing a diaper to tree climbing. There's a distinction, though, between the hobbyist and the artist for whom there is no other way. I wrote poems off and on in high school. I continued writing here and there in college and even served on the college poetry magazine staff. Then I stopped for almost 10 years, during which it never really occurred to me to write. I certainly didn't miss it. But when I finally did start writing again, the writing, though I didn't know this at the time, was the medium by which I wrestled my way toward a clarity about something I couldn't understand in any other way, my own queerness, which seems obvious to me now, but which I'd somehow suppressed, not been ready for, had suspected and turned away from, as from a, a childhood monster the child hopes to make disappear by closing his eyes. To write poems felt like finding the native language of my interior self and discovering that I'd always known this language. I had only to speak it. So this is my name. And this here, who I am. Because the artist makes art out of necessity, almost as if by instinct. Ambition may seem at first out of place, but this is mostly because people too easily confuse ambition with competition. The first sense in which I want to speak of ambition, though, has nothing to do with other people and their perceptions. Rather, the committed artist is driven by the human restlessness mentioned earlier. It's constantly evolving, finding patterns, settling into some of them, abandoning others, in search of yet another way to approach, as opposed to resolving, the conundrums that have been the catalyst for making art all along. As Stanley Kunitz says in his poem, Touch Me, what makes the engine go? Desire, desire, desire. And this desire is a manifestation of ambition, an ambition for the work, the art, to capture what can't be captured otherwise. And even then, can't be captured entirely, which is to say, defeat is built into the mechanism. For example, let's say I'm in love. So I write a love poem that depicts love as easy, blissful, because that's my experience of love. Then the relationship doesn't work out, and I realize my love poem has failed to get at the disappointment that love can bring. So I write a new poem, and this time I'm convinced. I've nailed it, it being the whole subject of love. 20 years and three relationships later, I understand that not only do love and its joys and disappointments vary according to the relationship, but that I myself have been changing the entire time as well. So what looked like love to me at 40 is nothing like how it looks at 60. All art springs from a human impulse. If not to resolve what's not resolvable, then to contain, if only temporarily, what resists containment. In this case, love which can be seen as a many-faceted piece of quartz, let's say, held up and turned, turning in a shifting light, so that the light hits some facets, misses others, each time differently. The poem seeks to capture the light as it hits a given facet, but that doesn't describe the whole, just a fleeting piece of it. Ambition understands that.
and refuses it. Now, each time I write a poem, I feel as if I've laid something to rest, arrived at the stability of having understood a thing. But the satisfaction is temporary, because what I sought to hold in place is as restless as I am. So whatever the poem has succeeded in capturing, it's also failed to capture every aspect. There lies the defeat I spoke of. That ambition, instead of seeing defeat as failure, some succumbing to frustration, treats defeat as a necessary step toward the next poem. That will surely, this time, get it right. Except there is no right. There's just the ever-questing forward, believing as firmly in art's powers of resolution as the knights of old believed, apparently, in the Holy Grail. You know, in this way, ambition is a form of faith, a belief in any given subject's knowability, a belief in art's ability to know. Since the artist is ever-evolving and his art subject matter is simultaneously ever-evolving and ever-elusive, it makes sense that the medium itself must keep evolving. How we express ourselves and understand ourselves and the world around us is mostly via our own individual sensibilities, which shift and deepen with experience over time. Why shouldn't art, the artist's medium for understanding and expression, change accordingly? You know, some of this happens naturally, just as our understanding of love, to return to my earlier example, changes without our ever having to do more than continue living and trying to love. There's also, though, a more intentional, if often unconscious, ambition for the work, one that can be understood at the level of craft. I used to write poems in short-lined, three-line stanzas. Later, I wrote single stanza poems made of long lines that made some readers think the poems were in fact prose poems, meaning they had abandoned line breaks. This shift became apparent only in hindsight. I, I made no conscious choice that I remember to change the way that my poems looked. At some point, the form I'd settled on became too easy, inadequate, uh, but mostly unsurprising. We think of ambition as a hunger for more. I think of it mainly as a hunger for difference, a hunger that's ultimately also strategic. If the quest is to get closer to what forever just eludes our grasp, and if the poem, in my own case, is my attempt to capture an ever-shifting subject or idea, to catch the world, add pure idea, Jory Graham has said, then my tools for capturing will need to adjust according to the latest nature of my subject. The right tool for the right job is another way of putting it. The way epic accommodates story better than a sonnet does. The way a sail is preferable to a net for catching the wind. Revision is another word for this particular kind of ambition for the work. This includes not just the usual idea of revision, uh, changing the word here, adding a semicolon there, but revision as a new way of seeing what the word means originally, to see again, but also differently. What does using long lines to grapple with an idea look like versus short lines? What different thing will be revealed? What same thing will be differently revealed? I never intended a career as a poet. Pretty much since graduating from college, I've dedicated myself to teaching, and it's been my career for over 40 years now. When, as a high school Latin teacher, I began writing the poems that would come together as my first book, I had no real knowledge of contemporary poetry. 
let alone journals for poetry, contests, reviews, the so-called business of poetry, even though I couldn't know this then, it was the only time I'd ever read poems with absolutely no sense of audience and therefore no expectations of one. I wrote poems from necessity. Yes, as a form of therapy. As I got closer to understanding the sexuality I was too afraid of in myself to confront otherwise. Which is to say, the last thing on my mind was publication. Then came a summer when I discovered the first books of Lucy Brock Broido, Marie Howe, and Bridget Pegeen Kelly. My first books of contemporary poetry. I loved them. And I saw that each book included a page of acknowledgments of where the poems had first appeared. And that was the first time I could remember thinking that I might try sending my own poems to a journal, to, to these journals, which must be good because they'd published work I admired. There began yet another form of ambition, as powerful as it is dangerous or can be, the desire to show one's work to the world. Despite my wanting to think of it as an act of generosity, another form of teaching, is finally a desire for approval, the desire to be valued. And by extension, extension, though the two are not the same, to be loved. The dangers of this form of ambition are many. Its first strategy is to seduce by distorting logic. If I'm published in a magazine, I'll be a real writer becomes quickly addictive. If my poems could be published as a book, I'll truly have made it. It leads easily to, if my book wins a prize, I'll be the best writer, having triumphed over all the other contenders. I believe very few artists avoid falling into some version of this thinking from time to time. As artists, we have something to say, and because we are saying it, it feels it is personal, which makes us vulnerable which in turn makes us long for the protection that, at first, public approbation feels like. Protection ultimately from our own fears and doubts as to our worthiness, our right to call ourselves an artist, maybe even a good one. But approval is not protection when it comes to art. That's just the opening sequence of the chapter called Ambition by Carl Phillips. Uh, if you haven't read the book yet, wonderful book. My Trade is Mystery. Seven Meditations from a Life in Writing. Uh, and I should say who the publisher is. <laughs> uh, ba -ba -ba Yale University Press. 2022. And that's today's episode. As always, this is about you and I in this theater. You're there in the dark, and I'm here wondering who you are. Thanks for listening today or night.